listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. I'm not originally from Henry County. I'm actually, I was born in New Orleans, but then we moved around most of the southeast. I lived in Africa for a bit, moved back here, traveled a good bit. But I actually went to California to do my undergrad degree, just north of L.A. When I went out to California, I went to study music. And when I first arrived there, I thought I was just going to be like all these other people who were just kind of different. We're just all kind of trying to figure out life together. I didn't realize that most of them were going to be driving Priuses while I'm driving an old 94 Buick Century. Uh, Not only did I not realize that they were gonna be driving those different cars, and they came from a lot of different types of income levels than I was a part of, since my dad was a pastor my entire life, but they looked a little bit different than I looked. Most of them wore socks and shoes, um, but they also talked a little bit differently than I talked. And so uh, I remember the very first week, it was called the week of welcome, uh, wow week, right? Uh, During that week, we went to one of these first big nights, these welcome nights. And as soon as I left, I was just surrounded by people. And all these people could do was listen to me talk. And no lie. And I was like, man, this is a great opportunity to meet the ladies. Um, I didn't realize they were laughing at me, not with me. But they were laughing at me because they were just like, listen to this hick. He is, he's from Georgia. Now you're like, but you don't have a very strong, I didn't have a very strong accent. I had kind of lived all over. Like I thought I was kind of normal. They thought I was just a redneck walking up over in here into LA and they gather on just to hear me talk. And I said things like fixin' you know? Y'all are like, I don't understand the joke. I, I know because you're like me. Some of y'all even like NASCAR. Okay, we're not gonna get on that today. I'm not that far. But I, I drove my 94 Buick, and on my license plate, it had the word butts on it. Now, they thought, being in California, you didn't put the county that you lived in. It just has a California, you know, with your license plate number and letters and that kind of thing. And they thought, why did you put butts of all words? Why did you put butts on your license plate? You couldn't think of anything else. You couldn't put Jesus, you know, or something like this. I'm like, I'm not as spiritual as y'all. And so uh, I said, no, that's the county I live in. And uh, they were, oh, there's a county named Butts. Is that what you're telling us? A count? Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, like this guy, you know, William F. Butts or something. I don't know. Made this history thing. But they just thought I was the biggest just hick from Podunkville. Like, they were asking me, like, do y'all have running water and indoor plumbing? No joke. So then I came back here, uh, back to Georgia after being out there for several months, and they were just like, oh, you're just like some surfer dude now. You're growing your hair out. Oh, you're so California cool. And I remember during that time, not only had my dad moved us all around the country, all around the states, all around the world, I thought, I don't fit in anywhere. Now I don't fit in with my college people. I don't fit in my hometown. It was nowhere. I was just like, man, I don't know where I fit. It's just, I'm different wherever I go. And not because I'm trying to be different, just because I'm weird, Right. Some of y'all are like, yeah, we understand that. Yeah, makes sense. But this morning as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to see that Daniel and his friends, they didn't fit in. And the commendation for us is the same. We saw last week that the spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. 
We are not, friends, listen, we are not made for Babylon. We are made for something better. Even though we find ourselves here today surrounded by, I don't know if you're like me the past week, even after talking about and reading about the spirit of Babylon last Sunday, I'm just like, man, it is everywhere. It is pressing in on every side. This is not what we are made for. There was an American writer and author, and he wrote this little, this little joke uh, several years ago, this little story. He said there, there, was, there was an older fish swimming toward these two younger fish. And as the two younger fish swim to the older fish, they said, good morning, how are you doing? He said, fine. And the older fish said, how's the water? And the younger fish said, what water? You're like, that's not a very good joke. I know. But here, I don't guess it was a joke necessarily, uh, but it's the story that means the fish don't even realize that they're in the water because that's all that they know. They don't know anything else. And so if you ask a fish, hey, how's the water? He has no idea what you're talking about. And so I would plead with you this morning, friend, if you think that, oh, no, those guys were in exile, but I'm not. They were under the spirit of Babylon, and thankfully I'm not. If you think that this world is your home, I would warn you this morning, in the same way that Daniel warns the church, the people of Israel, New Testament church as well, this book is both a warning and a roadmap for them. It's a warning and a roadmap for us. This is not our home. And so in the same way that we should be able to look at a fish and say, how's the water? And they're like, huh? We should be able to look at each other and say, how's the exile? Because we are all there. Because we are not yet home, we are in exile. The spirit of Babylon is looming large, heavy over us this morning. We have been displaced from the presence of God, the way that we were meant to be. It's now tainted by sin, by the spirit of Babylon. So here's what I want us to see this morning. Uh, I want to show you these, this, these three things. We're going to show that we're different by living by different values, by refusing to compromise our integrity, and by conforming to Scripture and not culture. So that's where we're going. That's where we're going. Those three ideas, we're going to see those in this text this morning. Psalm chapter 119, uh, we do this almost every week. I want you to repeat these words after me. Make this our prayer this morning, church. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Amen. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1. We've already read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but we pick up there in verse number 8. And I would encourage you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, it really sets up this idea of spirit of Babylon, those first seven verses. You can listen to that online, on the podcast, Facebook, YouTube, all those kinds of things. I would encourage you to go listen to those last two weeks. That really helps us to understand where we are today, why and how we are supposed to be living differently. It begins here in verse number 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. This word resolved, literally, Daniel is committing to doing something right even if everything goes wrong. He is committing. He is resolving. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. All of these things the king has asked of him. 
to educate him, to change his name, to give him his food and his drink. And at some point, Daniel says, okay, no more. I'm not going to completely capitulate to the spirit of Babylon. Now understand, Daniel and his friends and all of those in exile had just walked 700 miles. They're hungry. They're hungry. Some of y'all had breakfast this morning, and then you got in your car, and you're already hungry again. Imagine if you had not eaten any really good food in days or weeks, and you had walked 700 miles away from home. You'd be hungry. But what does he say? No, it's not worth it. I've got to maintain my identity somehow. He asked the chief of the eunuchs, and we saw this guy's name last time, Ashpenaz, that he would allow him to not defile himself. Now, honestly, we don't conclusively know why Daniel and his friends resisted the food of the king. Now, we can, we can guess, we can conjecture uh, that it's because the, the, the meat, the food was offered to idols, but we don't have a Bible verse for that, at least in the book of Daniel. So we don't actually know. That's a pretty decent guess, but we don't know that for sure. We don't see that in the passage of Scripture. And so if we don't see it clearly, well, we're not going to land there. We're not going to conclude that. We don't know. One of my guesses is that it's quite possible that Daniel had to be educated there in the Babylonian university. But maybe he found this one little area. He was like, man, all these other things, my name has to be changed. I have to be educated. I have to do all these different things. But you know what? I found this guy, Ashpenaz. And maybe there's just this one way that I don't have to give in to this culture. Maybe that's it. We don't know. We don't exactly know conclusively why this was the case. And the, and the reason you're like, well, the food thing kind of makes sense. I think what's interesting, though, he still ate vegetables, the king's vegetables. So even if the idea is, well, yes, the king's food, so he wants something else, he's still given the king's vegetables. Well, this verse conclusively tells us that wine is bad to drink. You should drink water instead. Maybe you should read the rest of the Old Testament when it talks about the people of Israel and how they used wine in their diet. I'm not sure that's exactly why. I think here is the fact that Daniel resolved, man, somewhere I've got to draw the line. I have to maintain my primary identity. I don't want to look exactly like the culture. Verse number nine. Notice we saw this phrase back in verse number two. We're going to see it twice more here this morning. Verse number nine, and God gave. We see all throughout the book of Daniel, but especially in this first chapter, the hand of God at work. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave him this. Daniel disagrees in an agreeable way. He gives him compassion for so many of us, we want to disagree. We're like, oh, yeah, Daniel, he stands up to authority. Yeah, let's tell everybody how we really feel. Let's tell them the truth. That's what Daniel, no, he does it in an agreeable way. God's the one who gave him compassion. He turned the heart of the chief of the eunuchs to Daniel. He said, okay, that makes sense. He didn't just say, that's wrong, that's bad, what you think bad. My question is, okay, what's your, suge what's your suggestion? What's your solution to this problem? Well, I don't have one, but I know that yours stinks. You know what I mean? Social media, have you read that recently? Like, what do you actually believe? Well, no, I don't believe that. Okay, that's not what Daniel is doing here. He's saying, hey, why don't we try this instead? Now, some folks will look at this passage. I've, I've read some people where they said, uh, this whole first chapter is about Daniel's parents. They must have raised him really well because he stood on the word of God. So let's be like Daniel's parents. Can I just tell you that nobody who is feeding a group likes for somebody to ask for something different when it's time to eat. You with me? So if you're a mom, if you uh, work in a cafeteria, if you work fast food, 
I, I don't, if you've ever been to a life group, <laughs> uh, some of these life group leaders are like, yeah, I want to look around right now, but I can't do it. Uh, if you've been to a life group, hey, guess what we're having tonight? Having Mexican night. Well, my kid just eats noodles. Not that shape, only this shape. Uh, we, and we only like, you know what I mean? So that's what Daniel's doing here. Hey, can I actually do this instead? But what does God do? God gave him compassion on these folks. Verse number 10, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths? That's, that's one of those, fun, whenever I hear, see the word youths, I always think about like just an old country dude. I hate to like draw a parallel with the introduction, but youths, you know what I mean? To, with the youths, that's actually the Hebrew maybe. We'll just say that. Uh, Y'all aren't going to know any different. Uh, so with the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head to the king. In other words, Ashpenaz is asking here, do you know what you're asking of me? For you, it's just a change in diet. For me, it's my head. Now, this is quite the job review. Some of y'all may not like your boss, but I doubt that many of you have walked into a job review and there's a machete laying on your boss's desk. If you haven't lived up to your end of the bargain, well... Exnay with your head. So, but that's what Ashpenaz is saying. Man, this is really going to stink if the king finds out. But the Lord goes before him. And he says, it's okay. Look at verse number 12. Daniel says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So Ashpenaz listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. There have been books, studies, conferences, DVDs, seminars, probably some VHS tapes somewhere out there that, and maybe you've been part of this, I'm sorry, uh, but th they call it the Daniel diet or the Daniel fast. You know what I'm talking about? And so I actually looked that up a couple weeks ago, and I was like, what is part of the Daniel fast? It's not just vegetables because you can season your food, and you get to eat some grains. So just for starters, exegetically, it's not exactly accurate. But the point of this passage is not that vegetarianism is more godly. I would venture to say if you are moving from being a meat eater, carnivore, or omnivore, uh, to being a vegetarian, it's going to require a much greater deal of faith in God. Amen? How many of y'all like a good cheeseburger? Yeah. In order for me to become a vegetarian, I'm going to need like, you know, chapter four, chapter five, some handwriting on the wall. And God's going to be like, here's what you're going to, I'm going to need a vision, a dream, the power of the Holy Spirit, all those things. So the purpose of this passage is not to say vegetarianism is good. I was at uh, Mrs. Winters a couple weeks ago. You can show you this. And I have to be driving through because nothing else in the world must have been open. So I went to Mrs. Winters, and I saw this. Uh, I actually went back yesterday, took this picture, um, but they've shut down for renovations because it's Mrs. Winters. And so uh, I saw this uh, on the drive-through, and at the very top, I don't know if you can see it, but it says veggies. Now I, I found this interesting because I thought, now if this were the kind of diet that Daniel were dealing was dealing with when it came to a vegetarian diet. I'd be down with this. Let's start at the top. It's the first one is corn on the cob. Technically a vegetable, I think. Maybe technically a fruit or a grain. I don't know. They call it a vegetable. We'll go with it, okay? Second one. The second one is broccoli casserole. Ah, yeah, tricked you. <laughs> nice vegetables. It gets better. Potato wedges. Not potatoes. So even if we could call them vegetables, but I don't know if you can, now we're going to deep fry them because they're better that way. The third one there is baked beans, one of my favorite vegetables. 
Um, and then fried okra. So what started as a vegetable now is even, again, I'm down with this. Then we have mashed potatoes, and the picture has gravy all over the top. Amen? But then green beans. We have green beans, so we'll let that one slide. That's the first, like, real vegetable we have on this whole veggie list. The next one is one of my favorites, mac and cheese. <laughs> Remember what these are. These are veggies. It says it right there. It doesn't say sides. It says veggies. At the very bottom, coleslaw. <laughs> If this were the kind of diet that Daniel were talking about, I'd be down. I'd be down with it. It's not. It says that he gave him just vegetables. The point of this is not that uh, there's some secret diet here. It's not the fact that GMO-free is better. It's not that vegan is better. He wasn't saying, hey, let me slip in some essential oils. The, the point of this is not what you eat or drink. The point of this is that God's hand was at work even through Daniel. Daniel wanted to be set apart. He wanted to be different throughout this passage. And Daniel was showing that he trusted God. It wasn't about diets. It was about trusting in God. We'll see that. Look at verse number 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance. Notice, better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Don't you wish that were the way it were here? The fatter, the better. Amen. Some of y'all are like, sign me up for the Babylonians. Some, uh, b bigger in uh, appearance. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and just gave them vegetables. The fact that they were fatter after eating just vegetables and drinking just water, we're like, okay, well, let's figure out the sign. It's not about science. It's not about, it's not about figuring it out. The point is that the hand of God was on these young men. This is a miracle of the hand of God that they could eat just vegetables and be better in appearance and be fatter than the other guys. We see the hand of God all at work. We see it again right here in the very next verse, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave. God gave gave. He's at work through these young men because they are faithful, because they were set apart, because they resolved and they were committed to being different. Even in the, in the face of Ashpenaz having his head cut off and probably Daniel and his three friends having their heads cut off as well. And God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, what kind of literature and wisdom are we talking about here? Is it like English lit? Is this wisdom from the Proverbs? No. It's Babylonian literature. It's Babylonian wisdom. It's astronomy. It's astrology. I've read some other guys who would say, well, this, this passage is about um, not giving in to the education system of the world. Therefore, we should pick a different education. The, the point of this passage is not about the education system and where you put your kids, if it's private or public or homeschool or CC or, or Conos or wherever else. That's not the point of this passage. The point of the passage is that God's hand was at work. And through his power and through the resolve of Daniel and his three friends, they stood out differently. And they pointed to a different spirit, not the spirit of Babylon, but the spirit of God. And we see God's hand at work further still. They learned all of these things. They didn't, they didn't say, we're not going to learn your stuff. They did. They learned these things for three years. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded... They should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. That's the spirit of Babylon. The Syria of Babylon. 
It's the same word in the Hebrew. I don't even know where I was. Thank you. That was a test. Uh, he brought him in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found, notice here, uh, not their Babylonians, but their Hebrew names, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There they stood before the king. Verse 20, notice this, the hand of God, a miracle at work, still continuing on. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better. 10 times better because they had resolved. He found them better than all the other magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Do you know what that means? That Daniel and his three friends, you know what they were? They were magicians and enchanters. How do we hold those two things in tension? Well, how do you be somebody of God and a magician? I don't know, man. I don't know. The word of God doesn't say, hey, let's put some caveats in here. And actually they weren't. Or how, here's how you do it. I don't know. It's really difficult though. For us, we want black and white. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Here's what it says. They were better than all the other magicians and enchanters. They had learned all the wisdom and literature. They knew how to do it. What does that mean for us? We follow God and we live right here in this world. Is this world our home? No. Are we in exile? Yes. Do we still have to live in this world? Yes. How do we marry those two? Man, it's really tough. That's not an easy answer. We have to be trusting in and resting in the spirit of God. Verse 21, and we'll hit this at the very end. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. We see the hand of God all throughout this entire first chapter. Here's what I want us to see this morning. I mentioned this earlier, but you cannot make a difference unless you are different. You cannot make a difference unless you are different. For some of you this morning, you're like, whoa, that's easy for me. I'm really different. In fact, I'm weird. He's not, we're not talking about just being weird here. And sometimes we have these weird things in Christianity, in churchianity, right? Have you ever told someone maybe even uh, an unsaved person or an unchurched person, somebody unfamiliar with our Christian lingo, maybe you said, I'm gonna bathe you in prayer. You ever said that? Just imagine for a moment, if you were not familiar with the church and somebody said, I'm gonna bathe you in, whoa, 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 social distancing, give me six feet, you know what I mean? I'm gonna bathe you in prayer. The point is not, hey, let's be weird and let's say weird stuff, but to be different. Sometimes we, you see this on bumper stickers. Uh, you see it in well-meaning, in well-intentioned folks. They'll have a bumper sticker. Do you follow Jesus this closely? You know what I mean? That's just kind of weird. We're not talking about just being weird, getting everybody's nerves, just being different. We're, or just to be different, we're saying to be different, to stand on the word of God. Another one that I've seen is, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You ever seen those? Yeah, amen, praise God. I bet, some, I bet some souls are going to be in heaven because of those bumper stickers. Tweet others the way that you want to be tweeted. I saw it on a church sign. I can't make this stuff up. So the point of Daniel is not just to be weird. These guys weren't just, they didn't say, you know what would be crazy? What if we became vegans? Let's do that. No, man. They wanted to be different, not to point to themselves, but to point to Jesus Christ. Three ways that we can show that we're different. We show that we're different, first of all, by living by different values. We show that we're different by living by different values. Now, consider the culture versus 
the church, or we'll say the culture, the, the spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God in these three areas. And Augustine boiled the Christian life down to these three areas, uh, money, sex, and power. The first one, consider how you use money versus how the culture says that you should use money. Is your money primarily for your comfort? Is it primarily so that you can avoid any sort of pain or suffering? Is it for your own pleasure and satisfaction? Do you get a lot and give a little? Or is your money used for the furtherance of the kingdom of God? Do you recognize your money as a resource from the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And he gives you a part of that to steward well. Can I tell you something this morning, South Point? If you are living and abiding by biblical financial principles, if you are living in accordance with biblical values with your money, you will be several steps behind the culture. We as a people are called and commanded to give sacrificially. Therefore, which is, which is different than the culture, therefore we will out of necessity be several steps behind the Joneses. We will not be able to keep up with the culture if we are giving sacrificially. We will be different in the way that we use our money. Secondly, the way that we use, use sex. Are we using it for our own self-gratification? Are we using it without restraint? Are we using it whenever and however we like? Or are we recognizing it as a gift from a gracious God? And it represents the intimacy that we get to have with the creator of the universe. Thirdly, are we using power? Are we simply climbing the corporate ladder by pushing other people down? Are we self-serving in the way that we have power? Or are we able to lift others up? Are we taking advantage of the opportunity that we have to make a difference for the kingdom, make an impact for the kingdom with the opportunities that we've been given? Friend, listen, is your life, and here's the question that we have to answer with this, is your life more shaped by Babylon or the Bible? And these are just three, out of these things flow so many other areas of life, money, sex, and power. But as you look at your life, is your life more shaped by Babylon or by the Bible? Consider for a moment, uh, football season. Imagine for a moment if if you were watching a halftime show and, and the band was all marching around and they had the conductor and he's up here, everybody's following the baton, everybody's moving in unison, all the music sounds great, everybody's moving exactly how they should, except for one dude on a trombone. And that guy has his AirPods in. And he's listening to that new song, that new mix uh, by Eminem and Kanye, I think. Is that the song? They, they released the song. And this one guy, he's playing his trombone in a different key. He's marching in a different way. He's doing his own thing. You'd be sitting there thinking, that dude is different. He's doing, he is not following the conductor. He, he's doing his own. Can I tell you something, friend? That is the call on us as followers of Jesus. It's not to move right in step with the spirit of Babylon. We should be looking different. Because the value system of the kingdom of God is different than the value system of the spirit of Babylon. So how are we living? More by Babylon or more by the Bible? Secondly, the second way that we show that we're different, not just by living by different values, but secondly, by refusing to compromise our integrity. By refusing to compromise our integrity. Now, 
the culture is not going to say, surrender all of who you are. The culture is going to say, just give us 5%. Don't, don't surrender 100% of who you are. Just surrender this little 5% over here. Maybe if you're like me, you're hungry on occasion. Um, at any point during the day and you walk into your pantry and you see fruit snacks there. Anybody else love fruit snacks? Yeah, I love fruit snacks with all my heart. There's barely any room in my heart for Shannon and my boys. Like, I love fruit snacks so much. But it's interesting, you know, whenever I see a bag of fruit snacks or a box of, of fruit snacks, I'm like, man, I've been looking for a healthy snack. And fruit snacks has the word fruit in it. <laughs> Therefore, it must be healthy. So it makes sense. Fruit snacks, right? What's crazy is that fruit snack companies have to advertise as if it's a really big deal if there is even 5% of fruit in their fruit snacks. Because in most fruit snacks, do you know what the number one ingredient is? Who said that? Good job. This woman buys some vegan fruit snacks or something at, at Aldi. I don't know. She's healthier than the rest of us. But yeah, the number one ingredient is usually high fructose corn syrup, which by the way, it's just the opposite of fruit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Ironically enough. But the world, they want to say, hey, look at this packaging. Look how nice this is. It's, it's just 5%. It's just, just a little bit. Just compromise a little bit to make this, this pill of death easier to swallow. And inside of that, even though it looks real nice, it's just 5%. It leads to death. The spirit of Babylon, friend, wants to destroy you. The spirit of Babylon promises money and success and a better resume and a better job and more power and a more beautiful wife and a more caring husband and nicer vehicles and living in a nice subdivision if you will just not mention this on social media. If you will just hashtag these things. If you will just wave this flag, if you will just wear this t-shirt, if you will just compromise on some of these small things, then we promise you all of this goodness. But church, we show that we are different by refusing to compromise our integrity. Romans 15, it says this. You can go there with me if you want to. It won't be on the screen. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. This right here, by the way, is in the middle of... Paul talking about unity in the church and how we are to evangelize the lost. Here's kind of that, that crux. Right there he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Notice where he gets this idea. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Each of us please whom? His neighbor. We see this, we saw this already in Jeremiah 29. We are here in this world on this earth for the sake of others, to be a blessing to them. Verse 3, he points to Jesus. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Our sin has been taken by Jesus. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Talking here about the prophets, about Daniel. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hang in there. You're living for the sake of others. Hang in there. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, you church, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we are 
with one voice glorifying him. Verse 7, he says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You who were once aliens, who were once strangers, who were once exiles, welcome each other. That's why we are here. We don't compromise what the world says. Okay, hey, let's, let's just move in that direction. No, we say we've got one God, one Lord, one Father, one truth, one Bible, one baptism, one communion for the saints. We are one together. We welcome you into true unity. We don't capitulate to the world. Verse 13, he goes on, Romans uh, 15. Verse 13 says, may the God of hope, so we set our sight and our future and our vision on Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May this be our identity, that we abound in hope. We can see this all around us. Maybe you have some friends who have progressed more toward that liberal uh, more welcoming side of the culture. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but we're going to expand our options. Maybe you've seen these denominations, these more liberal-leaning denominations. I don't mean liberal in a political sense. I mean in a theological sense. These more liberal-leaning denominations. You know what's happening to those denominations now? They are falling off a cliff they are shrinking in size because they tried to open their doors. Yeah, yeah, we'll wave this banner. We'll fly this flag. We've got love for all these things. People are like, wait, you're not any different. Wait, you're just saying you believe the same things I do. Why would I go to your church? Why would it become part of your denomination? And the folks who are heading in that direction individually or with their family, most of them are no longer part of the faith. Most of them are no longer part of the church because the enemy has sunk that hook deep inside of their stomachs and he's pulled it. He says, you're mine. You are mine. Friend, salt is meant to preserve. We as the salt and light of the world here, we are meant to preserve. Write this down. Jesus is the better Lowry seasoned salt. That's it. And we as his people are not here to bring condemnation. Ah, oh, you bunch of morons. And we're not here to capitulate our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs. But we are here to preserve and to bless and to make the most of God's creation and say, you were created for something better. You were created for something different, not the spirit of Babylon, but for the spirit of God. We don't compromise. Thirdly, so we show that we're different by living by different values, by refusing to compromise our integrity. Thirdly, we show that we're different by conforming to scripture and not to culture. By conforming to scripture and not to culture. There are three groups of people here, uh, really throughout the whole book of Babylon. The first people are the people of Babylon. The second group of people are the people of God. Then the third group of people that we see throughout the book are the people of God who are living like Babylonians. Because we only have Daniel and his three friends out of thousands that would have been the people of God who were supposed to be living as the people of God. And it's really confusing for us that so many hundreds and thousands of the people of God would have all of a sudden turned their back on the word of God and said, you know what, I'm going to give into the spirit of Babylon. But for many of us, that's exactly where we find ourselves this morning. Hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm still knocking boots with my girlfriend. Hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling with my relationship with food and drink. 
Hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm still looking at this on a regular basis and I can't break a cycle. Hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm not giving regularly. I'm a Christian, but I'm not telling anyone about Jesus. I'm a Christian, but friend, on Team Jesus, we don't have reversible jerseys. There's no, I'm a Christian this day and now I'm not. There's no, I'm going to follow Jesus for this part of my life, but not with this part. There's no flip-flopping. We're following Jesus. We don't compromise on integrity. We follow him in every area of our lives with everything that we have. What is the pattern in the direction of your life? Is it in being a person of God? Or is it in being part of the people of God, but you're living like Babylon? Because if that's where you are, I'll come back around. I'm, I, just give me a few minutes. Just give me a few weeks. Just give me a few months. Just give me a few years. Friend, you may not be part of the body of Christ if this is where you are residing. We must conform to Scripture, not the other way around. Three truths that I, that I see throughout here. So if you want to take a picture of these once they're up or if you want to write these down. The first is this, that truth is never determined by what the majority believes. Or else the sun would have revolved around the earth for most of human history. The truth is not determined by what the majority believes. No matter what the majority or what the culture or what society tells you, we stand firm on the word of God. We do not evaluate based on the changing definition of truth. But church, we evaluate based on the unchanging word of God. That's where we find our truth. Secondly, if you think the way that the world thinks, you're going to live the way that the world lives. And it's real easy, right? Fruit snacks. Hey, it's just a few little worldviews in the form of hashtags. Love is love. Who's going to argue with that? Love is love. Not a big deal. Or what about hashtag? You do you. I, I like that. What about love wins? Friends, when we begin living by hashtags rather than Bible verses, it means that we have adopted the worldview of Babylon rather than the way that we are supposed to view the world through the lens of Scripture. And I would encourage you, don't live on the right side of history, but on the wrong side of eternity. I'm going to say it again. As we consider our interaction with the world, interaction with each other, don't live on the right side of history, but on the wrong side of eternity. Because history is going to be judged by the spirit of Babylon, but eternity is going to be judged by the Son of God. This war that we're fighting is not against flesh and blood, but against, against powers and principalities of evil, against the enemy that wants to destroy your soul, that forever wants to separate you from the creator. That's the battle that we're fighting. Don't sacrifice your eternity for a little bit of satisfaction or success or pleasure or power here in this world. This world is not our home. Look at verse number 21. I told you we'd, we'd finish up here. Verse 21 there in chapter 1 of Daniel. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. We conform to Scripture, not to culture. Notice, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And historians would say that's in 559 B.C. 
He was the ruler, and we'll talk about this as we move through the next couple of chapters. But he's the ruler that followed King Nebuchadnezzar as the ruler of the world. He was the ruler of of the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. Here's what that means. When Daniel was there, because he was resolved in verse number 8, because he stood firm on the word of God, on the will of God, on the power of God, rather than giving in to the spirit of Babylon, Daniel outlasted the kingdom of Babylon. He outlasted that kingdom. That's the promise to God's people. God says, stand firm on the word of God. Persevere to the end. You will outlast this world. You will outlast this enemy. You will outlast this historical, cultural moment. You will outlast this pain, this suffering, this ridicule. You will outlast those things. Look to Christ as your only hope. Look to Jesus Christ. In him, friend, if you were in Christ, you will outlast everything else that this world has to offer. That's the point of the book of Daniel. That's the point of this first chapter. And Daniel points to Jesus in in a few ways. In the same way that Daniel moved from his home and he was placed into exile in enemy territory, Jesus Christ moved from his home in heaven where he was one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and he became an exile in humanity. Daniel was faced with death. He was faced with his very life being put at risk. But Jesus, in fact, wasn't just faced with death, but he suffered death. Daniel, after 10 days He was looking better and fatter than everyone else because he had 10 days of righteousness. But Jesus Christ was raised back to life after three days of taking on our corruption. And in the same way that Daniel was used by the power of God this morning, church, the power of God wants to use you as well here in this culture, even while we are still in Babylon. Even while the spirit of Babylon is so strong, And as the war wages all around us, don't give in. Don't give up. Live differently. Stand on the word of God. There's an invitation here this morning to this meal. There's an invitation to a meal from the spirit of Babylon to Daniel. Come and eat. Come partake. It's just a meal. It's just a meal. Sounds real familiar, right? Sounds like Genesis 3. It's just a piece of fruit. The spirit of Babylon has been active since the garden. It's just a piece of fruit. Just take and eat it. Join me in this meal. We saw it in the book of Luke as well. Jesus in the desert. Satan comes to him, the spirit of Babylon. He comes and says, here, come, turn these stones into bread. Come and eat. Aren't you hungry? Friend, in all three of these instances, that meal leads to death. It leads to death. But this morning, Jesus Christ invites us to a meal that leads to life. He says, I have taken death to offer you life. I have taken your condemnation to offer you my grace. I have taken the wrath of the Father to offer you forgiveness. He identified with us in life. He identifies with us in our death that we're going to face one day physically but he has removed the fear of death from us for all of eternity. 
How did Ashpenaz respond here? He said, man, I'm scared to death. I'm fearful of the king. Friend, we do not need to live by fear. We can live in hope because Jesus Christ is returning again. He died and he rose three days later, conquering the enemy that we could not defeat. And even though today we're in the middle of this war, communion reminds us of this coming day when we are going to be with Christ in his presence for all of eternity. There's an offering this morning from the spirit of Babylon, from the enemy. It's a counterfeit communion. And the enemy says, come and eat, come partake. You'll be so satisfied. It'll, it'll feel so good. It'll look so good. Just imagine the way that people will look at you and admire you and relish in you and worship you and honor you. Or nobody needs to know. Don't worry about it. It's just a little bit of money. That's a counterfeit communion. As we gather around these tables, we know that when you eat with somebody, there's a sense of intimacy there. That's why the enemy invites us to eat. That's why for many of us, when you go on a first date, or now when you go on a date night, where do you go? Out to eat. It's intimacy. And this morning, we're invited into life. We get to experience intimacy with Jesus Christ. So I would invite you, if you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, this is our chance to relish and to look forward to what he has done, to what he promises to do. We get to hold on to that promise that we will get to see him again. That the spirit of Babylon is not stronger than his power, stronger than his spirit. So let's repent of our sin. Let's turn to Jesus Christ. Let's remember his sacrifice and his grace. His mercy is deeper than your sin this morning. It runs further than you have. Let's confess our sin. Let's rejoice in who Jesus Christ is. Church, you're invited to join me.